to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today it's my privilege to have as my guest, Dr. Joshua J. Nabb. Josh is a board-certified clinical psychologist and professor of psychology and director of the PsyD program at California Baptist University. I have to say, this is one of my favorite episodes of all time on the Deep Dive podcast. Josh is able to pull together all of the themes that I love to talk about, spiritual formation, especially deep contemplative practices, good Christian theology, and he approaches that as a therapist. And this is going to be a conversation that can help you immediately. His new book, which we're going to talk about, is called Christian Meditation in a Clinical Practice. He's also written books with titles such as Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Christian Clients, Contemplative Prayer for Christians with Chronic Worry, and Christian Psychotherapy in Context. Let's move right into the conversation. Do check out the notes for all the resources and links to books that Josh has written, as well as to some of my own uh, projects. Share this to with friends if you find it helpful, and please do subscribe. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Josh. It's so great to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me today. I loved your book, A Christian Meditation in a Clinical Practice, and as a way to just jump into the interview, can you share some of uh, key moments in your own sort of spiritual journey and professional journey that led you to work as a mental health counselor, a professor, and an author? Yeah, yeah. So uh, early on in life, I, I experienced uh, some, some challenges, uh, trauma uh, in my adolescence. And so I ended up in my early 20s, my, my uh, father passed away. And so I, I ended up going into my own therapy. And uh, I found it to be extremely beneficial, just this idea of opening up and talking to someone else. And, and the, the, the healing that I was able to experience uh, in the context of a safe, supportive relationship. And so uh, that led me to, to really want to go into my own uh, doctoral program in order to, to be able to uh, help other people. Um, and then when I was in my uh, internship and postdoc for, for my clinical psychology doctoral program, I was at a, a psychiatric hospital that offered services to, to, for every level of care, from inpatient services to outpatient services. And uh, one of the things that they started offering was uh, what's called dialectical behavior therapy. And DBT is, uh, relies on heavily on Zen Buddhism. And this was a Christian psychiatric hospital. And I found myself asking the question, are there practices within the Christian tradition that parallel, uh, you know, Zen Buddhism practices within within Zen, uh, mindfulness-based practices, and so that led me on that, which now has been, you know, probably a decade-long journey to dig deeper and deeper into the Christian tradition for uh, psychological and spiritual practices to help Christians with mental health-related challenges uh, in a way that, that I'm seeing uh, my secular colleagues doing with mindfulness-based practices that come from the Buddhist tradition. And I and absolutely loved your, your book, as I was telling you before we started recording here, and you know, everybody listening should grab a copy of uh, Christian Meditation and Clinical Practice. This isn't, it isn't just uh, like a field manual for counselors. There's uh, things for everyone. My pastor friends, this, there's great exercises in this. Uh, lay people can get can gain real insights. And one of the things that uh, Josh does so well in this book is uh, 
he actually integrates spiritual formation, therapy, counseling, which you'd expect with Christian theology. So you just, you, you're fully grounded and get a real sense of what the, the possibilities of, of using these contemplative practices as Christians to help us uh, have, uh, well, as he says, kind of the end of his process is to have better communion with God and also contentment. And I want to start there. Um, because again, your, your approach is just so, so clear. And I'm, I'm a biblical scholar, and I'm, so I don't read a lot of therapy manuals. And I'm like, wow, this is completely readable. So I just want to commend you and InterVarsity you. for putting such a great book together. But when you talk about your approach, and you can say more about it, but I, I noticed sort of the telos or the, the end of your approach is to help you know, two words, communion and contentment. I just want to read one at a time and just kind of let you unpack mm -hmm. those because these are, I mean, super clear, but like you talk about communion. Yeah, you describe that as one of the goals of moving through this uh, therapy. It's a mutual intimate friendship with the Trinity initiated by God and reciprocated by Christians through union with Christ resulting in the psychological and spiritual benefits of being at peace with God, enjoying God's presence, feeling loved, accepted, and comforted by God, and communicating with God through prayer, meditation, and Bible study. I mean, just I mean, absolutely love that. It makes me sign me up right now. I'll take some of that. So uh, yeah, just unpack that a little bit. Cause there's, I mean, obviously there's a ton there. That's probably multiple lectures on your classes, but uh, where do, what do you really, what's the heart of what you're getting at there when you talk about the word communion? Yeah, I think, I think it's a, a, a deeper friendship with God. It's a fellowship with God. It's a, if I had to, you know, describe it sort of uh, what, what, what I think Christian mental health is, it's, it's, you know, walking home with God, right? So, so we are sojourners. Uh, this is not our home, uh, but we can constantly, in the midst of suffering, psychological suffering, spiritual challenges, physical challenges, constantly walk home with God because God is now our friend through our union with Christ. Uh, and I think that's something that for, for many of us, myself included, I can forget very easily on a daily basis that that God is a friend, a traveling companion. Uh, it, it's almost as if I, I remember a, a colleague, a friend in graduate school who had just got married and she had said that she had to learn to, to, to think in twos. And what she meant by that is if she's, she's hanging out with her husband on the couch and she goes to get something from the kitchen, uh, you know, a drink from, from the refrigerator that she's asking herself, does my husband need something? And she had to learn to do that. I, I would describe the spiritual journey uh, for Christians as thinking in threes. Mm -hmm. Thinking in threes meaning that it's me, God, and this person, this activity. If we think about Brother Lawrence and practicing the presence of God in the seemingly mundane activities of the day. But, but we need to really remember to think in threes, even in the midst of this conversation right now. God is active and present and guiding and his providential care is, is, is um, you know, orchestrating what, what's unfolding. And so I think a communing with God is about recognizing the deep fellowship and friendship that we have with the God of love. Yeah, I, I love that. And then the second one is contentment, which I guess is more of an inner piece uh, on the on the sense of uh, ourselves, um, not discounting God. And let me just read your definition of contentment is sort of the mm -hmm. second goal of, of these, an inner psychological state of enduring satisfaction, independent of outer circumstances that's attributable to God's grace and involves freely and fully surrendering to God finding pleasure in God and thanking God and actively authoring every life event with perfect goodness and wisdom. 
Yeah, I think so. So I've been fascinated by contentment uh, in the psychology literature. There's been some recent writings on it uh, from from a secular perspective, even, and and uh, that helped me to think more deeply about what Christian contentment is, uh, even in the midst of you know the COVID pandemic and and the loss of a loved one, or what, what does it look like in a falling, fallen, broken world to experience a deeper contentment, you know, Paul talks about contentment, et cetera. There's lots of examples in scripture, regardless of the ups and downs of life. So one definition in the secular literature is perceived completeness, mm -hmm. that the present moment is uh, entire. There's, there's nowhere else to be, nothing else to do. For Christians, uh, that experience is reliant upon God's grace, that, that in the midst of the imperfections of the here and now, God is ministering to us and God's Holy Spirit is counseling us and, and that we can rest in God's presence and not um, pursue uh, to try to acquire because God is with us. And, and that's a challenging, challenging thing in the midst of a fast-paced, you know, consumer-driven world that is constantly convincing us we need something else to be happy. Um, so, so I think contentment is a deeper experience in contrast with something that's more fleeting, like happiness that's hard mm -hmm. to define, that's wrapped up in pleasure and hedonism, and uh, is is you know really like consuming fast food. It's 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 gonna we're gonna burn quickly through it, and then we're just gonna only want more and more and more. So. Let me let me just follow up with and because you seems like you're really well read on a lot of these things when you just read um, like mindfulness persons and like, you know, I've I've read like even Sam Harris, who's an atheist, he has this book waking up and he does he's a pretty good job at describing meditation, at least from that one particular side, but when they when they talk about being present. Yeah, uh, and that's all you need is to be content in the present. I, I to me, the, the key distinctions of being we're present with God, and, and you said that. So do you do you actually think of a, I'm not actually, actually asking for so much a critique of another religion, but like, like what do you think the Christian faith adds to this current, um, in some ways, cultural or certain aspects of society's desire to be present? Because you hear that almost as a buzzword. So what's, what's the difference between a Christian being present and some of the ways that maybe that gets... Um, talked about and just more generically in the wider American culture now? Yeah, I think oftentimes, at least in, in you know, the psychology literature that I'm often engaged in, or even maybe in, in meditative uh, kinds of conversations, I think uh, present moment awareness is is connected to non-judgment and non-judgment mm -hmm. can often come from the Buddhist tradition. So mindfulness being a, a, a Buddhist practice primarily. Um, it can be secularized, but there still are, I think, roots or influences from Buddhism. So it's it's non-judgment. It's it's what we might call non-attachment, um, and and it's the idea that that clinging uh, to to what is ultimately impermanent creates suffering. And so uh, it's really a neutral posture uh, towards our inner experiences, our outer experience. So there's this non-judgmental pre present moment awareness. In contrast, I think for Christians, and, and it's individualized, it, you're, you're, you're with yourself. Now, someone might be, make the case that you're ultimately, you know, cultivating oneness, but it, you're, there's no personal God to relate to in the midst of these uh, practices of the present moment. So you're using the senses to, you know, enjoy a cup of coffee or anchor yourself to the ground or hear the birds chirping. 
and 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 just being in the in the midst of that experience. On the other hand, for Christians, it's a relational experience, and so it, it, it's again thinking in threes. It's me and God in this cup of coffee. It's it, coffee. It's not just me in this cup of uh, coffee. Uh, and and I think it's it's less about non-judgment and more about we might say relying on God's grace and mercy, or uh, which I'm fond of is to thinking in terms of surrendering to God's providence, uh, that God is, uh, you know, the God's good governance. They, the, if we start with God's infinite goodness and love, and then from there, think about God's infinite wisdom, and then, you know, infinite power, that, and, and then God's presence, right, the four omnis, if you will, that unique combination means that that God is loving us in the present moment, has our best intentions in mind, has control over the situation, and uh, is is here with us and guiding things things for the for the good. And so we can trust in the present moment because God is the author of the present moment. In contrast with mindfulness, which is really about being alone and relinquishing the grip we have on something because of the impermanence. Uh, which is one of the three marks of existence in Buddhism. So that's so helpful. Thank you. And one of the things, many things I appreciate about your book is when you go through various types of meditation techniques, or whether we call them silence or solitude, contemplative practices, you, you go through a whole array of them and cover lots of them. Everybody listens to this podcast know I'm a big advocate of centering prayer and really prayer of examine, but you have those and more can I gave you a whole bunch of questions in advance around there. Can you just talk about, it's like a buffet almost, right? So do you have a preference? Uh, do you start like a person who has no background in spiritual formation one way, or do you try to like steer maybe a more advanced person towards a certain technique? Uh, how do you deal with a person that's skeptical? I mean, yeah, I'm sure you get asked those all the time. So how do you answer some of those questions with this kind of buffet that you offer uh, readers? Yeah, I, so so within the Christian tradition, there are a wide varieties of, of ways of kind of slicing this and organizing this. So there's not one way. So the, the way that I've kind of come up with it is, you know, the, 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 when we talk about Lexio Divina, divine reading, uh, which comes out of the monastic tradition, uh, we're looking at reading scripture, um, meditating, then praying and then contemplating. Uh, and I think that, that, that Lexio Divina offers us a, a good anchoring point to scripture. Uh, so that, you know, when, when Christians engage in meditative and contemplative practices, they're not sort of like the, the astronaut just kind of floating out in space, uh, you know, un, untethered to the, the spaceship kind of a thing. And I think that's what makes Christians nervous is what we might call the apophatic tradition, which is wordless, imageless, or the downplaying of, of words, uh, and then imageless types of prayer that, that aren't connected to scripture as God's word. Um, and, and so instead of starting there, Lexio starts with scripture, reading maybe a short passage in scripture, something as simple as God is love. Uh, and I, I've in fact been meditating on that the last few days. I mean, to really sink deep into, you know, first John and God is love, like, like to, to start there and then to meditate on that, right? And then to, to pray and interact with God and then to, to contemplate, which would might be to, to rest in that and maybe even allow the words to drop off like you're getting to know a good friend. So you're starting out in the relationship, you're having conversations about who this person is, you're asking questions, reminiscent of interacting with scripture to know God, who God is, God's attributes, God's actions. And then eventually over time, as you're interacting with this friend, you can enjoy experiences together without filling all of them with words mm -hmm. because you know this person. 
And so you might end up sitting on your porch with your friend watching the sunset or driving in a car and just enjoying this person's presence without necessarily needing to say anything because you, you know this person, there's a felt experience of this person. And I think that's reminiscent of, of moving from you know reading to praying, uh, I'm sorry, re reading to meditating to praying to contemplating. So I would say probably starting there uh, with scripture as an anchoring point and then learning how to have maybe longer periods of silence with God where we trust that God is active and present in the silence, not absent in the silence. Yeah. So, and, and can you say just a little bit more about the apophatic uh, techniques? Uh, again, as I, you know, I listened to you, it's like I went, I mean, there's no secrets on my podcast. Um, essentially, I would say centering prayer almost saved my faith. I went through a really difficult divorce and, you know, as a Bible scholar, so just reading the Bible wasn't, that wasn't helping me because it's some level, I hate to even say that. It sounds so awful, but it was just true, you know, going to church. But I, I actually literally just at some points, I got introduced to the centering prayer and I just um, sort of just sat in silence and got my insides unpacked by God. And again, I always think I, that was all based on, you know, basically 30 some years of reading the Bible and all those things. But, uh, you know, I found that was really powerful because it stripped away the stuff. That's sort of the via negativa. At, at what point do, do you introduce somebody to that? And, you know, have you seen where it doesn't help a person to immediately do Lectio to Vin? Have you, I mean, you've probably, you've had way more experience. I'm just talking about myself basically here, but you've, can you say dangers of the apophatic side from at least your perspective or maybe ways that it can be helpful for certain people in certain situations? Yeah, so it's interesting because, you know, I'll give you a quick example. The Puritans talk a lot about meditation, dozens of works on meditation. Some people might be surprised by that, but they're, they can be very cataphatic, uh, heavily reliant on words. And, and I would say, you know, reminiscent of taking too big of a bite of food, yeah. uh, that, that, that it's harder to savor because they can be very wordy in their meditation, right? Yeah. Uh, meditative uh, practice. And so uh, I think in order to, to find rest, a deeper rest, sometimes we really need to take a smaller bite. And that might even be just a one syllable word reminiscent of the author of the cloud of unknowing or like a two syllable word like Jesus or Christ or Lord. Uh, at times I really am drawn to the idea of Lord because it, it, it captures this, uh, the, the, the God is sovereign and I'm surrendering to God as Lord. And so I think, I think the, uh, e even in, in my own apathetic practice, I still anchor myself to a word. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't ever lose the connection to a word that's, that's important for me, because I think it's, it, again, it's like sort of like wandering off without that anchoring point. So that would be my, um, recommendation is that that keeps us anchored to the Christian tradition, uh, that God has revealed himself to us through uh, scripture. And so uh, having some kind of important word to anchor ourselves can be. But I think when it comes to Christians who have a, a very overactive mind and really struggle with getting lost in their own, having a, you know one word that's gently recited can help to kind of settle uh, the mind. It's almost like, uh, you know, you know, outer sort of 
stillness and silence can lead to, you know, the, or in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, they talk about hezekiah or, or inner stillness uh, and inner tranquility, which comes from reciting the Jesus prayer. But I think sort of like a, a, a snow globe, right? The, the, the way that you get the snow and the snow globe to settle is to just let it sit there. Uh, and so I think that in our own practice to really have a deeper rest in God, we need to experience outer stillness and silence and then some kind of inner stillness and silence, which is fewer words. Now that might not be one word, it might be a phrase for someone who's maybe uncomfortable with one word, but I think we're, we're reducing the amount of, just like in a conversation, we might settle and have a slower pace and then get to a point where we're just enjoying each other's company. Yeah, I love that. And to say one of my good friends early on just said, just use Jesus for your word. And, and that, that's, all, that's always been my advice to everybody when you start practicing these sorts of things. Just, I mean, Jesus is just a great, that's two syllables and, <laughs> and that's what it's ultimately about. So appreciate that. Uh, you may have answered this a little bit already, but again, we have uh, in the in our wider culture, and there's mindfulness-based stress reduction, uh, you know, here Vipassana, I guess that's the Buddhist term for mind, essentially translation of mindfulness, I think. Some people, a lot of entrepreneurs seem to do transcendental meditation, especially out there in California where, where you live. Uh, but then there's Christian meditation. Uh, and you've mentioned already this kind of thinking in three. So maybe that's the answer. But is, is that essentially the distinction between Christian practices and similar practices that you find in Buddhism or Hinduism or just kind of generic new age sort of stuff these days? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the way to maybe organize some of the Eastern practices, and there might be, you know, then parallels in Christianity, um, but but I would say we're, we're looking at attentional practices, practices that cultivate attention, and then practices that cultivate insight. Uh, so mantra-based meditations or uh, attentional meditations, um, where uh, maybe a word or a phrase uh, re the repetition of a word or phrase to, to focus the mind, whereas insight meditation, so, so mindfulness would be more of an insight meditation. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, what are we gaining insight into? Well, uh, at least in, in my reading of, of, of the, the practice, uh, it's, it's the three marks of existence, which we're gaining insight into that, that all of life is suffering, that there's no, everything's impermanent and there is no individual self. In contrast, uh, for Christians, you know, our practices can be attentional, reflected in, you know, uh, thinking deeply, pondering, meditating on God's attributes or actions. It might be God's love. It might be God's wisdom. It might be, uh, you know, God's providence. The Puritans talked a lot about meditating on heaven, uh, probably more than anything else. Uh, and so, so we can focus the mind as a way to sort of maybe move from worry and self-preoccupation to focusing on God. So in some ways, it can be reminiscent of uh, meditating or, or, or repeating a mantra, but it's anchored to scripture oftentimes, or, or uh, one of God's characteristics or, or actions as revealed in scripture. Um, the insight piece, um, you know, what, what might be a parallel with, with my insight-oriented mindfulness meditation? Um, I would say that the, the, the practices that I find especially appealing are those that help us to surrender to God's providence. So we're practicing God's presence. So that we're, what are we getting insight into? That God is active and present. So whether it's centering prayer and, and imagining God being at the center, right, uh, or, or the cloud of unknowing, reaching out to, you know, uh, God in a cloud of unknowing in love and setting everything else beneath the cloud of forgetting. 
Um, but I think we can uh, use these practices to gain insight into, not into you know, reality apart from God, but that God is at the center of reality, uh, that God is, is, is dwelling, that I'm a dwelling place for God's Holy Spirit, and, and that I, could, I can recognize that the, the, the goal is really for God to take up all the space within my inner world, right? Um, but not, not in a, a, a sort of non-duality, but that there is still a distinction. There's a personal God interacting with me, but God is a, I'm a dwelling place for God. So I think that would probably be the, the distinction is that it's not an insight meditation to gain awareness into the three marks of existence. Uh, it's it's uh, recognizing that God is active and present and loving and with me in the midst of whatever emerges, whether it's, you know, COVID-19 or other kinds of suffering in the outer world, or even I would say inner suffering. Uh, you know, the, the, the Puritans talked a lot about uh, afflictive providences, which might be a bit controversial for some people, but, but the reframing of even, you know, depression or anxiety is, you know, what might God be revealing to me in the midst of these experiences? So insight-oriented meditations uh, in Christianity might reveal God's presence uh, to soothe and comfort in the midst of a season of, of suffering. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Let me, let's move for a minute just to kind of more of the, uh, maybe the clinical approach here. Uh, use the word transdiagnostic in, in your book. And that's a, to me, that's a technical term. I had no idea what that was when I saw that. Can you kind of summarize what that means and, and, and maybe just summarize a little bit about your method and then we'll look at, uh, we'll apply that to like one particular issue before we run out, run out of time today. Sure, sure. Yeah, transdiagnostic, this is sort of a, I would say a leading edge conversation in clinical psychology. Um, the idea being that, that with each um, uh, ba DSM, basically for psychiatric diagnosing, mm -hmm. uh, it, it continues to grow. So we're in the fifth edition right now. It's, it's got more diagnoses than ever. Uh, and so, so one, one way of looking at um, psychiatric diagnoses and psychological suffering is, is to keep adding diagnoses. Mm. Uh, and so we, are, we have an overabundance of diagnoses in our society and we'll probably keep adding them, right? And so it might be what we might call a, um, a splitting strategy. We keep slicing suffering thinner and thinner and thinner, uh, having more diagnoses. Um, on the other hand, transdiagnostic is, is what we might call a lumping strategy where we're saying, okay, what are some common experiences across, for example, depressive and anxiety disorders? Uh, because we know uh, in, in clinical practice, oftentimes, you know, the depression bone is connected to the anxiety bone, right? The, the, there's, it's what we call comorbid, that clients come in often with depression and anxiety. So is there a common experience across those two diagnostic categories. And so transdiagnostic, meaning kind of traveling, trans-traveling uh, across diagnoses to say, what are some ways that we can treat both at the same time or three or four diagnoses at the same time, instead of trying to you know, treat this diagnosis and then that diagnosis and then that diagnosis. So, and I think it's a smarter strategy because I think there are some common experiences across different types of suffering uh, and I just don't think that, that, that individual diagnoses make as much sense in the real world because people experience suffering combined, not, you know, here's one diagnosis and I could separate that out for another. 
Okay. That, that makes sense. So like, I mean, just to, just to make sure I heard and everybody understands. So like you mentioned like a person potentially, and, and again, I've seen, like I told you, my daughter's in the clinical psychology. So we already own, I think the DSM, one of them, and I know there's another one coming out. So we're going to mm-hmm. be blessed with two of these monsters or <laughs> books sitting around the house. But, and uh, I know she was learning how to diagnose different people in one of her classes. Um, so it'd basically be like, you know, if I'd come to you or whatever, and I did, uh, and you, I might have say general anxiety disorder, depression, and maybe like PTSD. And those could be three separate things, but you would just essentially group those together and look for a strategy that helped a person in all three of those. That's, that's essentially what transdiagnostic approaches is. Just, I mean, that's very blameless what I just said, I think, but that's what you're saying essentially, right? Yeah. So there are transdiagnostic ways of making sense of those diagnoses and okay. then transdiagnostic, we'll say ma- ways to make sense of the problem and then transdiagnostic ways to make sense of the solution. So one way to make sense of those three uh, diagnoses that you mentioned would be um, my thinking, right? So mm-hmm. what we've called of late is repetitive negative thinking or perseverative yeah. thinking. So rumination and worry, ruminating about the past and worrying about the future. There's a larger struggle there with repetitive thoughts mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that really are uh, a struggle across those diagnoses. So the transdiagnostic problem might be that we target repetitive negative thinking across de- major depressive disorder, o- across generalized anxiety disorder, and across post-traumatic stress disorder. And then we might use a Christian meditation as a transdiagnostic solution for the transdiagnostic problem. So it's, again, a way of thinking bigger picture about what's a common thread with these diagnoses and what's a common solution to address uh, the repetitive neg- negative thinking. Um, and, and again, this whole other line of conversation, but it's just amazing that, you know, the, the, the techniques that you use in the book, I mean, in a sense, they're as old a school as you can possibly get in terms of spiritual formation techniques. They actually are sol- real solutions that the church has had for thousands of years for the very things that have afflict us in the 21st century, essentially, right? That's right. I, I like to see myself as kind of a miner, right? With my hard hat and sort of like, you know, light on uh, that, I, that with my pick and I'm just, uh, I, I'm, there's nothing new under the sun, right? right, right. So these are practices that I think for a lot of people, they can be um, intimidating because they're buried in books that aren't written with bullet points in mind, nice, yeah. neat headings and in an easy, you know, uh, three steps to a better life kind of a format. Uh, so, so some of us need to go in and to draw out the practices and to help people to think about them in contemporary language so they're they're easier to access. And that's really what I'm doing. That's so good. And let's just take an example. Uh, and I don't know if this is a good one. You can you can kind of morph this. We sort of talked about this. So if we're going to talk about having a problem with like ruminating thoughts, uh, and you have chapters that deal with different types of situations and have really clear um, tools. So and, and let's say at the core, maybe it's um, a person, they have different thoughts, but at the core, it's just like, I'm just not good enough. And that manifests in, you know, different ways, negative self-talk. Like how, how, how would you work with a, let's even say it's a pastor that's listening, like, I just don't feel, I feel up this shame that I'm just not good enough. How, how would you help that person to use some of these practices uh, to get some relief and move back into deeper communion with God and a real sense of contentment as a, you know, as a person loved by God? Yeah, so, so the, the four-step model in the book, uh, the first step is to notice, to notice uh, the transdiagnostic issue. In this case, it would be ruminating thoughts, uh, ruminating about the past, maybe 
continuing to go back to a past conversation or event, whether it's trauma or something, something distressing, or maybe worrying about a uh, yet to be determined future. Uh, so the person initially, the, the first step is to notice, there I am worrying, there I am ruminating. Uh, just to step back and really see the forest for the trees, to see the bigger picture, we might say the Google Earth view, right? Um, instead of being lost in, in the experience. Uh, the second step in the book is, is what I call shift. And it's shifting from what the Puritans called uh, earthly mindedness to heavenly mindedness. So looking at a bigger picture perspective, placing my own struggles in the context of a larger perspective, you know, if we call it the grand narrative of scripture, or again, the idea that I'm walking home with God, right? That, that this is not my final destination. Um, so, so, so looking at a bigger picture perspective where God is at the center. Uh, then the third step um, is to accept, to accept God's active loving presence in the midst of this experience. Sometimes when we're experiencing psychological suffering, we can uh, convince ourselves that God is absent, that God is turned away, that God is punishing us. Um, but instead, I, I really like the, the Jesuit saying of finding God in all things. Uh, that, that, that God is even in the midst of, with us in the midst of our own suffering. We see that countless times in scripture. Uh, after all, we, we follow and, and worship a suffering servant. Uh, and so there's, there can be something redemptive and refining in the midst of suffering. It doesn't mean we want it. It doesn't mean that we're going and looking for it. In a fallen, broken world, it will find us. But when it does, the question is, how can I accept God's active, loving presence in the midst of this experience? And then the fourth step is to act. So it's a notice, shift, accept, and act. And act is to act in life, to take decisions in life uh, based on this deeper awareness of our communion with God and contentment in God. So going back to ruminating thoughts, let's say that I am looking back regularly on a traumatic event uh, and I just keep ruminating, the, the wheels keep turning, I'm preoccupied, I'm not able to be present in my relationships, it's impairing my functioning. First step is to notice there's rumination, there's ruminating going on within my, within my mind. The, the second step is to really uh, zoom out if we use a camera metaphor because we're really it's so close to us when we're struggling with it it's hard to see around it and so zooming out is a way to say you know what's the bigger picture perspective that yes this has happened uh, in the midst of a, a, a fallen broken world there is suffering um, but the a heavenly minded perspective is to say you know this is uh, temporary uh, this is not permanent uh, this is, a, you know, a reflection of the fall. So we're trying to see the bigger picture and to place our current suffering within this bigger picture perspective. So we're not getting lost in the time-limited nature of our suffering, but seeing the the, the bigger um, or the the, the vantage point um, from a, a spiritually-minded or heavenly-minded perspective. Then we're mm -hmm. accepting God's presence, which is to say, God, be with me in the midst of this this uh, rumination. I'm struggling, I'm suffering, be with me. Um, uh, just, you know, sort of learning to trust in God's loving care in the midst of this suffering. It's not to hit the ejection seat from the suffering. It's not to try to avoid the suffering. It's to relate differently to it because God is with us. Um, one way of thinking about it is, you know, the early desert Christians talked a lot about staying in their cell. Uh, mm -hmm. The cell was a small room that they resided in. They went out to the desert 
the, the various deserts, uh, you know, Syria, Palestine, uh, Egypt, to, to somewhat would say they, they withdrew from society. I would actually say they went to face their temptations in the desert, reminiscent of Jesus going to the desert. Um, and, and they stayed put in their cell. They didn't flee from their cell. The idea was that, that, that they could face their temptations in the cell and that God was with them in the cell and they could learn to endure in the cell because God was present. And so that's probably one of the hardest parts of, of our Christian walk mm -hmm. is learning to stay put. If the inner world is reflective of uh, this desert psychology um, that, that some authors have used that language, uh, then, then we really have to learn to stay with the experience. And it's not going somewhere else because the, the common denominator is us and the suffering will just follow us. But it's to invite God into that experience and to really say, God, be with me in this struggle with rumination. Love me. Uh, you know, uh, remind me of your presence, help me to find a, a deeper peace in you in the midst of this. And then I'm really, in many ways, carrying it with me throughout the day. And if it comes up, you know, 100 times, um, I'm noticing and shifting 100 times. Um, I would say if I had to condense uh, the, uh, the four-step model to two steps, it would be either noticing and shifting or uh, shifting from earthly mindedness to heavenly mindedness. That would be kind of a condensed version. So what am I doing? I'm noticing the rumination and I'm shifting towards an awareness of God's active loving presence. Noticing, shifting all day long. So it's ruminating, God is love. Ruminating, you know, Jesus. Lord Jesus, have mercy. Ruminating, uh, you know, uh, trust in God. Uh, whatever the, maybe a short phrase is throughout the day that I can um, gently, I would say, gently, slowly, lovingly recite. Um, one, one, one last thing here, uh, just to kind of wrap up um, my answer, is to say, I, I would say that throughout our day, we're always meditating on something. Mm -hmm. And the question is what we're going to be intentional about meditating on. Uh, and our mind is always wandering. It's wandering one from one thing to the next. That's just in the nature of the mind. And so uh, I think these various meditative and contemplative practices are a way of noticing and shifting throughout the day. So if, if I have a prayer word, or it's maybe the word uh, Lord, right? It's there's rumination, Lord, you know, uh, Lord, help me, right? Uh, uh, like Peter. Uh, in the New Testament, um, sinking, uh, we're, we're having a tough time uh, walking towards Jesus, we're looking around, we're distracted, the inner world is highly distracting waves and, and uh, turmoil, and, and we're saying, Lord, help me, we're just gently pivoting from the rumination to uh, the, our prayer word or phrase or anchoring point. That's so good. It's just even funny that last illustration. The one of the, the person that taught me how to do centering prayer. That was exactly what he used. It was the his, his idea of, of Peter walking on the water and then sinking and then just going right back to Jesus. So just uh, that almost brings everything full circle for me. That was that was super helpful. I hope everybody caught that because it's like these contemplative practices that you do, they become a habit that going through your life when you're not just sitting in silence that you can still like notice and return back to God. So I just, I love that. So thank you so much. Mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of pastors, spiritual directors, small group leaders, and even just in interested lay people listening today. So how could people that have the opportunity to serve other people, um, how could they make use of your book outside of persons that are legit, like licensed counselors. So how could like a regular pastor or spiritual leader, or even a kind of a lay leader use your book, would you say? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think there are a lot. I've tried to create a lot of exercises yeah. that can be they can be you know tried on, used, uh, recommended, and then I try to be as comprehensive as possible with thinking about all the different psychological experiences that that we uh, struggle with, not, not only clinically but also what we might call subclinically or just the day to day experiences in life where we sometimes get overwhelmed with worry or rumination or what do I do with this overwhelming emotion during this season of life uh, might be based on a loss or a traumatic event. You know, life is filled with hardship and suffering. And so there might be certain uh, seasons of vulnerability where I'm emotionally vulnerable and I need to know what do I do with this painful emotion that won't go away or my behaviors, right? Um, how do I stay engaged in life rather than withdrawing when life gets difficult or, or with uh, my sense of self? Uh, how do I uh, make sure that I'm not uh, overwhelmed with perfectionistic tendencies and being guided and driven by perfectionism. And then lastly, my relationships. How do I be Christ-like in my relationships with others? So across those five different areas, I think the book has a variety of practices, um, even thinking subclinically about just day-to-day -day life. And so my hope is that people can crack open the book and uh, dig right in uh, to, to get good use of these practices so that um, so we can go from formal practice to informal practice throughout the day. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Josh. And everyone, we've been talking with Joshua Nab. He's author of the excellent book. I highly recommend. It's really good. Uh, Christian Meditation in a Clinical Practice. And uh, before you go, uh, Josh, I'd love to ask you the questions. I'd like to ask all my guests just to kind of see uh, where you are and just to kind of keep some continuity to my show. So just wrote a great book. Um, again, I know as a professor, you're always doing some, kind of some kind of writing is, you know, what might be next for you? Is there like this big project that kind of scares you a little bit that you'd like to tackle someday? Yeah, so right now, myself and, and some colleagues were working on a book uh, under contract with InterVarsity Press called uh, tentatively titled Healing Conversations on Race, uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and really were tackling um, the, the topic of, of racism, looking at it uh, viewed through the lens of, um, you know, spiritual formation literature and Christ-likeness. How can we be Christ-likeness in having these conversations? And then drawing from uh, the psychology literature as well. So uh, right now we're, we're working on that and um, uh, under contract with that. And so I think that's a big project. I have a few more projects on, um, uh, one, one on Lectio Divina I'm working on right now, oh, um, doing some research on that for, uh, trauma-based um, trauma-based uh, emotions, and so uh, that that should be you know in the works for the next year or so. And uh, I think the next thing that I, I'm really thinking about tackling is trying to make a lot of the the, the various um, change principles or practices within psychology accessible to the church, but starting with a, a Christian foundation, a, a biblical worldview. And so looking at how to get, you know, that kind of material into the hands of pastors, lay leaders, congregants, recognizing that many, many Christians will not end up in professional therapy or counseling, but will interact primarily or solely with, with others in the church. And so how can we equip the church with a lot of these uh, insights that we've gained in psychology to, to help people to change. Yeah, well, thank you. That's a wonderful, that's a wonderful research agenda. And when your Lectio book comes out, I'd love to have you back on and talk about that too. So please uh, reach Excellent. out to me. I'll try to watch for that. So just personally, you don't have to be any more personal than you than you than you want to be here, but like what 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 tends to keep you grounded? Do you keep a rule of life? Like what, what keeps you excited and grounded and empowered for the good work that you do for Jesus? 
You know, I think uh, if I think about sort of the the practice that I use more than any other, it's it's the Jesus prayer, mm -hmm. and the, I think what what I find most um, helpful is that really the gospel message within the Jesus prayer. Uh, you know, whether it's the long version, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's recognizing who God is and who I am. Whether it's you know seasons of success and celebration. Or, you know, if we look at, uh, you know, the, the, the work, the, the message of the psalm, seasons of orientation, uh, disorientation and new orientation, uh, Walter Bregman talks about. But, but the idea being that whether it's highs, lows, or anything in between, that I'm recognizing my position before God and, and just this idea that I need mercy every single day. Uh, and, and, and I love that in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, you know, Elios uh, there is, uh, is sort of captured in this idea of uh, a related word is, uh, I think, Elion or something like that, which is olive oil. And so the idea is that when we say Jesus have mercy, it's, it's you know, olive oil was used during his time to, as an ointment for soothing wounds. And so I'm every minute of every day saying, Jesus, soothe me, comfort me heal me, heal my wounds. And so I think, I think that keeps me grounded, my position before God that I, uh, or, or we might describe it as um, compunction. The early desert Christians talked about compunction, this idea of uh, tears of joy, the paradox of weeping uh, and also celebrating. So I, I think as best I can, I try to live that out, the idea that uh, there's there's sorrow for our fallenness and there's joy in the midst of that uh, because of our hope uh, and our redemption in Christ. And so uh, imperfectly, I try, I try to live that out, but I think the Jesus prayer captures that uh, in, in every season of life. Um, so that, that's kind of where I'm at. I actually love that answer. You just really unpacked uh, the full meaning of the Jesus person. So just thank you for sharing that gift to everybody. Cause that, that was wonderful. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and now here's probably the hardest question in the whole thing that given a man who's got a whole wall of books behind him and who knows how many more are on the other sides there. But if you, if you were other than the Bible itself, if what would be two or three books that have really helped you personally, spiritually to become the, the, the man that you are today? You know, I, when it comes to suffering, uh, I've been so inspired by the lament Psalms, uh, just, yeah. just this idea of, you know, the complaint and the praise, if we were to condense, you know, uh, again, going back to, to, to Bregman's, uh, uh, message of the Psalms. And that, that's been a huge, huge, uh, important book for me. Um, but, but I think also, um, you know, looking at, you know, Colossians and, and Jesus being at the center, uh, it, you know, that theme, uh, has been huge for me as well. Um, instances where Paul talks about, um, you know, the, the thorn in his flesh, um, and that it's, it, uh, you know, prayed to God three times to remove it, and he had to end up reframing or reinterpreting it. Um, and so I've been, as somebody who experienced suffering early on in life, and kind of uh, my, my worldview kind of cracked early on, and I needed to uh, allow God to be that glue to fill in those cracks, I've been especially drawn to how biblical figures and teachings in scripture talk about suffering in a broken world and that God is ultimately uh, at the center. And so thinking as a psychologist about scripture and the psychological nutrients, if you will, of scripture has really been helpful for me. Uh, but yeah, I would say the lament Psalms and, and those instances in scripture where we have um, guidance on, on responding to suffering uh, so that we can walk home confidently with God.
Yeah, I love, um, I, I teach, I'm teaching Psalms again here. This uh, will actually start next in February, probably the month this is actually coming out. And I use these messages, Psalms, love Brueggemann's framework. You mentioned Brueggemann. Um, if you're going to say a couple of other books that help you to um, have helped you to think through those biblical texts, I mean, any, anything come to mind of, of um, authors or books that helped you along the, the, uh, the way as well beyond a message of the Psalms? Yeah, you know, thinking, I think, theologically about suffering, I've been very much inspired by uh, the, the Puritans. I've, mm -hmm. I've really enjoyed the Puritans because I think what they've done is uh, they do, they've done their best to think deeply about the application of scripture in every area of life. And so they haven't compartmentalized scripture in, in ways that we sometimes do in the 21st century, right? Okay. Scripture helps us on Sunday, but I'm gonna go to this expert over here. And so I think that they've inspired me. So for example, just one example would be, um, you know, some of the books on providence uh, from, from uh, the, the Puritans that, that really even talk about providence in the midst of suffering, God's providence, or uh, there, there's one particular book called The Vanity of Thoughts that, that, that talks about, uh, you know, what are we supposed to do with these pesky thoughts uh, as fallen human beings, right? Uh, so, so those kinds, and then, and then you know, contentment, um, uh, Jeremiah Burroughs and the Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. So, so there are some deeply psychological themes uh, that are, that are uh, both biblical and I think theologically have theological depth and deeply psychological coming from the, 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 the Puritan tradition. So, um, you know, Good. those kinds of works I've been especially fond of. No, I appreciate that too, because again, a lot of my audience are tend to be on the Wesleyan Arminian side of things. We don't always think about the Puritans. So just thank you for reminding us of that side of the of the, of the Christian family too. And yeah. just last, last question, again, appreciate your time. Uh, if if uh, listeners want to reach out to you and find out more about your work, obviously they can tell us where we can where they can find uh, Christian meditation and clinical practice. And, um, and if you have any online presence, where might they connect with you? Yeah, so I, um, I'm right now I'm getting a, a what my website launched. I'll have it launched in the next day or so. It's okay, just cool. joshuanab.com. Um, they can email me at jknabb at uh, calbaptist.edu. Um, and I have a, a author a biography, author webpage on Amazon as well. Cool, cool. Well, I, I really thank you for a, a rich conversation. I mean that this has been, I think, really profound. I love the way that you've woven so many disciplines together and and, it's, and that comes across clearly in your writing. So thank you for answering Jesus's call in your life and uh, serving students there and teaching and also those who have the privilege of working with you one-on-one -on -one as, a, as a counselor and uh, again, grateful for your time today, Josh. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Brian. Appreciate it. You're welcome. And everyone, thanks for listening all the way to the end of this episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. Until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be voices of hope in the world. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. If you found this episode helpful, would you please share it with friends through your social media networks, as well as leaving a review to help other people find it? If you're interested in any of the resources mentioned, please check out the show notes. And let me again remind you, if you're interested in contemplative practices, my latest book, Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence, can change your life is now available in paperback or on Kindle. Recommend ordering it off of Amazon. If you want to do a large order, I would reach out directly to Paraclete Press 
ask for Sister Estelle and you can get some deep discounts if you're interested in buying, say, any quantity over of at least three or more copies. You can get good discounts directly from Paraclete. Thank you so much for the privilege of serving you and we'll see you next time.